Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project Season 10, Episode 9, and I've got a lot of fun things in line for today, which include talking a bit about gear, uh, some updates from Drew about the ongoing audio saga, and sort of a semi-continuation of a topic that we started talking about last week when it comes to how you approach stuff that you may, or I shouldn't even say you, how I approach stuff. I don't want to presume to tell anybody what to do or anything, but share some insights that that have been, every time you change something in your workflow, you learn a little bit, and I'm just always excited to share that stuff. So that's what we're going to do today. Before we jump into any of that, though, time to talk a little bit about gear, uh, because I'm trying to sort of continue what I was working with last week. I'm using the Rodecaster Pro 2, and I am using the Shure SM7B. Last episode, I ended up using the Lewitt LCT240, because it's a great microphone, but I originally had wanted to use the SM7B. I couldn't really get it. I was even trying to like play around with using a Fethead with it, and I just couldn't get it to sound how I wanted it to. And in the past week since recording that, I've actually talked to a few people who have sort of said the same thing, where they're like, I really want to love the SM7B, but they can't quite get it. And that's that's kind of how I feel, um, is I when I got my SM7B, I really did love it. And and I used it kind of as my main mic for a long time, but then as I, I guess, got other microphones or maybe my taste changed or developed, I sort of stopped liking the way that it sounded so much. And then lately, I just like cannot get it dialed into a way that I like. So what I have done, which I'm very curious, I've done some test recordings. I did this all yesterday. Did a few test recordings, and now I want to use it on an episode and see see how things sound. Um, but what I did was I found a video that walked through specifically SM7B settings with the Rodecaster Pro 2. And the video was from a YouTube channel called Home Studio Pro, which is hosted by Brody Brazil. And Brody is awesome because he is like, uh, I feel like he's my much cooler, like brother that is, you know, like, He's just a cooler version of everything that I want to do. Uh, Brody is a professional sports broadcaster for NBC. He mainly cover he mainly um, works in Northern California and covers the Oakland A's, which I guess could soon be the Vegas A's. Um, but he also does like San Jose Sharks hockey and and stuff like that. And I found his channel because he has he has a channel under his own name which is just a, you know his personal channel where he does a lot of mic reviews. And he was one of the first people I saw who compared the Sennheiser MKH-50 to the 416. And that was really kind of helpful when I was thinking about borrowing a 416 to compare to my MKH-50. And he's got a lot of cool stuff. You know, he has a lot of like clips about sports and things, but he's got a lot of cool stuff about microphones. There, as someone who's been working in professional broadcast for, I don't know, 20 plus years, there's kind of a lot of a lot of info, but then he has a couple other YouTube channels, and this is where things just sort of get funny to me, is one of them is all about aviation because he's also a certified flight instructor and a private pilot, so I ended up watching a bunch of videos about aviation, and then he has a third channel, which is called Home Studio Pro, and that is, uh, it's almost similar to the topics I cover. It's like ways to level up a home audio video studio, but it's all done with his his knowledge and background. So it's using a lot of the same gear, a lot of ATEMs, Rodecasters, different mics, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you kind of have like that that background of traditional industry knowledge behind it. And I thought that would be a really good resource to go to when it came to learning how to use the SM7B with the Rodecaster Pro 2, because what I was doing was just not working for me. 
So all of the settings right now are pretty much the ones I got from that video because what he does is he goes through and just goes through all of the advanced EQ settings on the Rodecaster with the SM7B. So just to hear what that sounds like, I've been using it this whole time. Now I've turned it off. Wow, that's actually a huge difference. This is just the SM7B, no processing. I've got 57 decibels of gain. Um, and this is what the SM7B sounds like, which is not like the... I don't think this is the best sounding mic in the world, but I also don't think it's supposed to be at this point. This is supposed to be sort of flat and neutral and dull because it's intended to be EQ'd. And I think that's something that I've sort of had to realize. I, I kind of thought, I guess, in the past, like if you just throw enough gain at it, it's going to sound good. But really, you do need to EQ it to your voice. And if I turn on that preset that I made, this is without that. This is just the SM7B. And now this is with the preset and all the stuff turned on. It's a pretty different sound. It almost, I think, verges on a condenser-ish sound. Um, I haven't done anything long form with this, so I I'm curious to see like how that works and, and how it sounds. But I actually like it quite a bit. I didn't follow every, every single thing to the exact number um, in Brody's video because you do have to adjust to your voice and your environment. But I was very, very, I started with all of his numbers and then in a few places I just needed to tweak things for different voices. So I'll link to that video in the notes of this episode if you want to check it out, if you're trying to use an SM7B with a Rodecaster, or honestly, if you just want like a very detailed step-by-step -step walkthrough of all of the advanced EQ settings on the Rodecaster, he does a great job and sort of explains. What it did to me is it really helped enlighten me that learning to EQ a mic is part of part of using a microphone like there's not really it's a cool thing when you can plug a mic in without doing anything and it just happens to sound great on your voice in your environment but needing to add eq to a mic isn't like a weakness doesn't make the mic bad it's something that's oftentimes supposed to be done and it just takes a lot of skill so we'll kind of see how this ends up working and and i would love to also know uh i don't know what you think about it if uh unless it's so good you don't even think about it because you're not paying attention to the microphone and that's ultimately what i want is a sound that is fun to use easy to get but also not distracting like you can just listen to the episode and forget that someone is recording into a microphone that's kind of the best the best way to do it so that's what i'm using today uh, all through the roadcaster pro 2 and alrighty, now we can move on to an update from drew so two episodes ago on the AV help desk, Drew sent in a, an issue he was having with his roadcaster, and it was sort of this strange thing. We kind of did a whole in-depth case study for it. Then last week, some people had sent in some of their suggestions and some of their thoughts, even just saying like, hey, I had the same thing happen. I don't know what the solution is, but I'm just letting you know I had the same thing happen. And Drew has sent in sort of an update so that we can tell uh, where he's at in his journey. So here's an update from Drew. Hey, Tom. Drew with Grimlock Media here. Finally getting back to you. It's been a pretty busy past couple of weeks, um, but I did want to get back to you and say uh, thank you for all of your input on uh, the issue that I was having. Uh, I also wanted to say uh, thank you to Ryan, Gil, and Carrie for all of their input and suggestions on uh, possible alleviations and what could have been going on. Um, I haven't had the same issue come up again. Um, in all honesty, 
I haven't done another podcast episode, but um, I have used the Roadcaster, so not really sure what's going on there. Could have just been a fluke, but who knows? Um, I will definitely try and see if shutting the whole thing down and starting it back up uh, could be a possible solution as well. So uh, I didn't try that initially. Uh, when I had the issue. So yeah, just wanted to tag in, uh, say thank you, and uh, let you all know that everything's been going great. Catch y'all later. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, Drew. And thanks again to everyone who sent in suggestions and help for Drew. I've really liked this sort of back and forth thing, because it's just been kind of cool. You know, a lot of times recording a podcast is just me recording and by myself and then I send it out into the world and hope that somebody hears it and it's helpful but it's kind of cool to you know it's just it's really a cool dialogue between me and not just one other person but then multiple people and then those people dialoguing together that's just awesome like it's such a cool thing to be able to do via like the medium of podcasting and so I really appreciate the update from Drew the original question from Drew and then all of the suggestions that people sent in to try to help out even if, you know, like like Drew hasn't had the issue again, but I think going through that case study and going through all those suggestions in the past episodes is helpful just for other people to sort of figure out how you might want to handle those situations. And maybe it can even help troubleshoot some issues that other people are having with their gear. These one-time like flukes are sometimes the scariest problems because it's easy to forget about them. Like you're, you, it's such a relief when it doesn't happen again, but then it's so easy to forget about them that... You don't think about it. Everything works great. And then like six months later, the problem happens again. That's kind of what happened with my camera lens that I mentioned last week. My Sony 24 millimeter 1.4 lens just randomly stopped working. Like the focus just completely died on it, both auto and manual. You cannot focus that lens at all anymore. And it makes no sense because it was completely fine one day and then broken the next day and nothing had changed. Like all that had changed, I turned the camera off, waited a well, it was a Friday and then on Monday, turned the camera on and it didn't work anymore. And I do remember though, like a year ago, I had a weird issue where the lens felt like it wasn't, it was sort of doing the same thing, but I just sort of detached it and reattached it to the camera and it kind of kicked back in and started working. And I was like, huh, that's weird. Oh, well, seems to be fine. And then like a year later, the whole thing just died. So I did just yesterday send that off to Sony to see what the deal is really hoping i know it's out of warranty but i'm hoping that's still kind of some kind of manufacturer's defect that's covered under repair because lens repairs are uh never cheap and i'm really hoping that i don't have to pay a ton of money to get that lens fixed but uh we will see so let's then move on now to the topic of today's show which is the idea of respecting your work and i don't know how else i don't know how else to describe this that title to me sounds almost like a hustle culture thing of like, yo, bro, you got to respect your work and rise and grind and get that bread, dough, etc. This is something that has been in my head for a number of years now based on a mistake that I made a number of years ago. And it's something that that's always kind of since then been in my mind and recently has really popped up again in kind of a cool way. And so I'd like to give a little bit of context, explain that, share my thoughts on it, and maybe it'll be interesting or helpful. So ultimately where the idea started was with the very first sponsored video I ever did on my channel, 
which was uh, just about four years ago. It was the fall of 2019. I did a sponsored video for Epidemic Sound, and I had used Epidemic Sound for a year or two at that point just as a customer, and they reached out and wanted to do something sponsored. It was It wasn't, I don't think the first time I had been asked to do a sponsored thing, but it was like the first time a reputable company had reached out and, and something that I use. So it was, you know, I was already a customer that made sense. And I didn't have like the ethics statement at the time. I had all those ideas mushed around in my head, but I didn't have like that clear process. I had never done anything like this before. Um, And I'm glad that the people at Epidemic were great. Like they didn't try to pull anything weird the i think my channel had somewhere between 5 and 6000 subscribers at the time just for reference and the the fee for the video was $250 which is very low um i wouldn't do a sponsored video for $250 now i probably shouldn't have done a video with a 5000 plus subscriber channel shouldn't have done a $250 video at the time especially because part of the agreement was that the video had to stay up for at least a year, which it's still there. Like I, I like the video. I didn't, I didn't like want to take it down or anything. Um, but you're getting a year of, you know, advertising basically at least at this point now it's been four years for 250 bucks. That's a steal. I mean, um, yeah, I wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't make the video for that. And I knew that was low at the time, but it was also my first time. And so what I had told them was, um, okay, I'll do the video for this price, but this is my first time. And so I only want to do it if you're comfortable, like literally walking me through the entire process, answering all of my dumb questions, like really holding my hand through this whole thing. And they said, yes. So that was kind of, in my mind, I know I wasn't getting paid as much as I would have liked for a sponsored video, but the, I don't know, the education, I guess, the real world education was worth it and not feeling not feeling dumb or guilty when I was asking these questions that kind of seemed basic was was great because I know they deal with people, you know, I don't know, they're dealing with me and then they're dealing with like, I don't know, like Peter McKinnon or something at the time who I'm sure there's just, it's just a well-oiled machine that knows how to crank out all this stuff. And I'm over here like, I don't know how to do it. How does this work? And, and then also trying to figure out what I am and am not comfortable with stuff like previewing the video beforehand or whatever or how much control they have over the topic of the video, which they were super great about. And they were incredibly helpful at explaining everything and like going over, you know, the contract is super simple, but they were really, really great about answering any questions and explaining stuff. And I appreciated that so much. And that was actually also where I first really learned the need of forming an LLC for my channel, because when it came time to pay the $250, they were like, uh, we're kind of having, we can't just send this money, especially because they're not even US based. They just couldn't send it to like an individual, a random individual. It's kind of like for tax purposes and all this other complicated stuff I didn't understand. They're like, we need like a business ID or we need to send this to a business entity. And I was like, oh, really? And I, I had been so confused because at that time, Epidemic especially was doing so many sponsored things on so many channels of all different sizes. And I, I remember asking like, you mean to tell me every time I see an epidemic ad, a sponsored video from epidemic and even like a, you know, a very casual looking vlog that that person has an LLC or some kind of company set up to take money? And they were like, yes, they do. And then I even reached out and asked some people and they said, yeah, 
a lot of people had, you know, maybe they already had their own, like they do wedding videos. And so they already had a company set up for that or some kind of other design product. They already sort of had something set up and they were just folding their YouTube channels into that. But yes, everybody already had something and I had nothing and I had no idea. And so that was, that was the first time where I was like, oh, I actually need to put something together to make this, if I, if this is something that could potentially be a source of revenue and income, not knowing at the time that it could also eventually be a full-time job, it needs to be set up in a way to handle that. And that, uh, that was a pretty big learning experience. So I'm actually really, really grateful to everybody at Epidemic for, you know, spending like a month uh, walking me through everything. And then the video itself was pretty simple. Like they, you know, it's kind of just break down some plans and some features um, talk about royalty-free music, which was something I was already doing anyway. And then specifically with Epidemic, I was already planning to make a video talking about how to use stems because you can, they're like the one service that I'm aware of where you can not only download a song, but you can download the individual tracks for a song. And then it's great because every song could then be instrumental if you don't want the vocals or if there's something weird in the background, you can take it out. Like a lot of songs will have, you know, maybe it, it's a really cool beat, but then they have something like a trumpet or a keyboard that's sort of like very distracting, especially if you want to use it as a background song in a video. And you can just boop, take that track out and it's not a problem anymore, which is really cool. So it makes it super easy to mix stuff together, edit it together um, and kind of customize everything in a way. And so the video just sort of talks about that, it talks about like, oh, you know, like here's sort of some options on Epidemic. Here's some cool tools. Here's how to sort of find music. And yeah, this is a simple, is totally a fine video. Like there's nothing wrong with the video. Um, but especially because I didn't have the ethics statement, I remember just sort of, it's almost like packing for a trip mentally versus having an actual like checklist. And you're just sort of, you're, you're leaving now on your trip and you're just sort of thinking like, I think I, I think I covered everything. Did I get everything? I think I got it. Whereas if you had an actual list that you could check off each thing that you needed by the time you're done, you know you have everything you need. That's kind of what the ethics statement has done. And before that, it was like, well, I think I, you know, I was just trying to make sure that I felt comfortable in every way and didn't didn't compromise any, any you know, ethics or integrity or anything. And it was scary because it's also the first time I had done anything sponsored. And I know for, I think for a lot of people, they're really excited when they say like, this video is sponsored by blah, blah, blah. And I was like terrified because we've talked about this so many times before the the baggage that can come along with that and i was like is this is this a turning point would this be a turning point now where the the relationship that i built up with this audience on youtube over the past 2 years at the time is this going to be something that compromises that because now they're going to be questioning you know objectivity and and all that kind of stuff which was which was scary at the time and no one really teaches you how to do that or, or handle it. So anyway, I published that video on a Thursday like normal and that was late 2019. So it was about five months after I had started scheduling videos in advance. I had, you know, three or four videos scheduled. This one came out, you know, we had agreed upon a date to to put it out, which was kind of just like the next <laughs> the next upload date after the video was finished. I pushed the video out and it was fine. I don't remember like analytics or anything on it, but I remember it was fine. Nobody said anything about the sponsorship. Like people just talked about 
oh, either the topic of the video, and I think a couple of people said, oh, hey, congrats on, you know, getting a sponsored video. I haven't seen that from me before. Good for you. Like, that is literally it. Like, it was completely fine. But I panicked because I just felt like, I don't know, I just freaked out. And there's definitely a reason that I didn't do another sponsored video for like two years after that, because I just didn't, I felt like I had messed something up somehow, even though everything was fine. And so what I did in just sort of my insecurity and my panic was that video came out on a Thursday. The very next day on Friday, I just published the next video that I had originally scheduled for the next week. And I was like, okay, that way nobody can be upset because they'll get this video, which is sponsored, but then they'll still get a normal, not sponsored, normal quote unquote video on the next day. And that way everybody will be happy. And again, nobody... Nobody was looking at it from that point of view, and nobody was putting that kind of pressure on it except for me. And what ended up happening was that caused a lot more harm than good because it publishing a video, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure YouTube would argue this, but in my case, as a channel at the time that had been like, had a very consistent upload schedule, publishing a video right away afterwards sort of, I think, did hurt the first one that I published. I think if you publish a video and it immediately takes off and becomes like one of the most popular videos at the time, you could probably publish more videos and it wouldn't cause a problem. But if you have a video and it's just sort of performing average and then your channel uploads a new video, I think YouTube sort of switches over and starts focusing on that newer upload rather than the other one. So it's almost like I cut that one off at the knees and didn't give it the chance to do everything that it could. And then this other video came out, which then didn't have like, I don't want to say the infrastructure behind it, but, you know, normally I might share a thing on, I don't know, Instagram or something about a new video that came out, or I might talk about it a little bit. And it just sort of like, bloop, like just sort of popped out, surprise. And then that meant that I had also then taken a video out of my like, you know, schedule out of my savings account, which I had worked really hard on. And so what I ended up feeling like, I remember that night, I felt like The only way I could describe it was that I had been very disrespectful to my work and to myself because all of those videos I put a lot of time into, a lot of effort into. There was, you know, a strategy behind them, a plan behind them. I'd worked so hard to build up the the backlog of videos to schedule in advance. And just because I like got a little nervous and freaked out, I, I sort of like disrespected two projects, two videos disrespected my time by not, by then, now I have to work hard again to build back up my schedule, you know, my backlog to what it used to be. And it just felt, it was a really like yucky feeling is kind of the only way I can describe it. It was just so disrespectful to the work that I had created and the time that I had put into it. And so I learned, I'm glad that happened because it's a learning experience. I learned not to do that. From that time on, there were times where maybe I did want to publish a video, two videos in two days or or something like that, which is totally fine if I'm doing that because I want to and it's not a knee-jerk reaction to like try to fix a problem that didn't actually even exist and isn't going to cause any other problems going forward. So that the idea of I did something, I think we're used to the idea that someone could be disrespectful to you. But the idea of being disrespectful to yourself was sort of different to me and and especially to your work and your time. And so that idea like really, really stuck with me. 
And it's always just sort of been in the back of my head ever since then. Every It's just the idea of I'm spending my time and spending my energy on this stuff. And I want to, I want to make sure that I am respectful of that. I'm respectful to myself and to my past self for all the time and energy put into something. Now, that idea has popped up again recently because like I talked about last week, I am experimenting with moving away from a standard upload schedule, which again is not to say that having a standard, you know, an upload schedule is a bad thing just because it's something I've chosen to to step away from for the time being is not like a judgment on anything else. It's just what seems to be the right thing to do for me and my channel at this given point in time. Having a schedule, I think, was also the right thing to do for a long time as well. So you got to figure out what works for you. But this past week, it was a little scary because it was the first time I didn't do that. I finished my video about the Roadcaster Duo and published that, I think, on a Tuesday. And then Thursday came around and nothing. Still at the time I'm recording this video, nothing has happened. And I actually don't even know what's going to happen by next week. I don't know if there's going to be a video next week. I kind of don't think there's going to be because I, I'm i working on one and I'm really excited about it, but I don't, I don't think I could possibly finish it. I do have still one video that is finished that's ready to go, but I don't, I'm just going to sort of trust my gut on when it feels right to share that. And... It, it did feel good overall. So it was kind of weird because I, what happened, I'm having so many thoughts. Let me go back and sort of explain, <laughs> explain some of these thoughts here. It's less about the weekly schedule. And in my case, it was more about running on autopilot because what, I, what had sort of happened was because I had built this system over the years where it was like, do these things at these times, work in this way and you will end up with a video um, by the time that you need one. And then you will always sort of have this backlog of three to four videos. Like you just sort of will keep this beast going. It's just a recipe and you just kind of keep doing the thing. You keep getting the same result and that worked. But a thing that I kind of learned this week was, hey, maybe in a weird way, not because it was an upload schedule, but because it was something that I was starting to do on autopilot, maybe that was being disrespectful to work that I was doing because each video that I was working on, each thing that I was putting time and thought and care into was sort of just becoming like a thing on a conveyor belt, you know, like it, it was just like a factory and like, here's the next thing coming out. Okay. Pack and send it pack and it versus like, let me sit here and look at this. Like, what is this thing that I have made? What should I do with this thing that I've made? What does it need? Like when I was a teacher, you know, differentiated instruction is such a big thing, which means you have, it's also a huge ask when you have a class of like 50 kids, but you have your classroom of 50 students and you can't, not everyone is going to pick up on everything in the exact same way. And so understanding that different students need different things in order to like understand stuff or be successful or just not be miserable uh, is important. And so that's differentiating. And you look at each student, ideally you look at each student and you figure out what they need in order to be as successful as possible. And it's like, well, why not also do that with the videos that I'm making instead of just smashing each video through this machine, almost like those Play-Doh things, you know, where you just put the Play-Doh through and then push it down and get the spaghetti or the star or whatever. Like, instead of just doing that, let's see what it is before I smash it through the Play-Doh spaghetti machine 
And so like with the Roadcaster video, I finished it. I actually finished it on Monday. Yeah, I finished it on Monday. Finished editing and everything. But the last thing I had to do was captions, which for a 30-minute video that has a million specific product names in it, takes a very long time and is a little bit of a nightmare. So I was like, I'm going to do those on Tuesday. So the video was done and it just sort of sitting there and it wasn't uploaded or scheduled or anything. It was just done. Then the next day, it's like, okay, I'm going to work on the captions. I got the captions done. You know, then it can upload it, put on all the, all the stuff on YouTube. It's so crazy when it can feel like when you're finished editing a video and it's exported, you're like, I finished my video. But like, honestly, at least for me, it's another like at least 90 minutes of work just in like YouTube studio to put in everything to make the video like a viable part of the channel, which is, that's definitely not my favorite part of the workflow, but it's it's part of it. And if you space it out, it's not, you know, if you're trying to tack it on at the end of a long day, it's miserable. If you just wait till the next day and do it at your leisure, it's a lot more enjoyable And so as I was doing that, I was thinking, okay, this video's done. What should I do with it? And part of me, I think it was like 11 a.m., 11.30 a.m. my time on Tuesday. And normally I publish a video Thursday, 5.15. So now it's Tuesday, 11.30, chaos. And I was thinking, should I schedule this for the next day? That could be kind of fun. Like, I sort of like having a video publish early in the morning. And then I can wait half the day before checking in on it and see how it does. I sort of like that versus the the intensity that can come with like, I'm clicking publish and now I guess I'll just go do something else and try to not think about what's happening over there. Especially a video like this. I was I was really happy with the video, but it's also, it's something that I knew people had been asking about. And I figured it's also something that might invite a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts. And it's, you know, it's a little, it's exciting, but it's a little scary to publish something like that as well. And So I was thinking, okay, maybe I should wait, like publish it Wednesday morning, schedule in advance. And then I just, I think I just thought that for this time, for the first time doing it not on a schedule, just publish it now. But then I was also thinking, what else does this video, is this just about publishing a video or is there something else? Like in the past, every once in a while, I've made like a little blog post about a video and that's kind of cool. Or maybe, you know, It makes sense to share something on social media. And that's kind of cool. And I know it sort of seems common, but it's a little different each time. And I was like, you know, I I think those are all cool ideas. And I kind of wanted and still sort of want to do like a blog post about that video, but I didn't do it at the time. But it just got me thinking like, wow, this is such a different thing to sit here with a finished video and look at it and think about like, what does this need? Not just the checklist of once I'm done with video, I do this, 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 and then video goes out. But like, here's a thing. What does it need? Is it something that's very simple and self-explanatory? It can just go out on its own. Does it need something to contextualize it? Does it need, you know, is it something I'm excited about in a way that I know a very specific group will be excited about? So I should, I don't know, do an email thing about it. Like, what does this video need? What is this thing I made need in order to be as successful as possible, not just in terms of analytics, but in terms of like living up to its potential and connecting with people in the way that I intended as effectively as possible. And that was kind of a fun little thing to think about. And so then I ended up publishing the video and it's actually done quite well, which is nice. But um, I don't know, it was just, it was a really, 
it was a really fun, it was just a totally different approach to what I've done in the past. And as simple as those questions sound and those thoughts sound, the thing that really like kind of struck out to me was that every video does really represent like a different journey, a different experience for me creatively and a different intention. And so instead of trying to make them all fit the same mold, let's differentiate and individualize that as best as possible to make them as helpful as possible. And it was like incredibly fun to do it that way. So rather than making something and throwing it into the machine, take the time to sit with it, think about what this really cool, unique thing is and what you can do with it. And that will be different for every video, for every project that you work. And that's, that's super fun. And so I published that and that was great. And I felt really happy to get that out. And then Thursday came and nothing happened. And I felt so weird. I felt way weirder about not having a video go out on Thursday than I did when I took a couple weeks off and just didn't even check YouTube studio or anything. That was so much weirder. And even though I did the podcast episode where I explained it and everything, I did still have people like sending me messages, checking in, were like, which made me feel good. People actually care and actually pay attention. And that's a really cool thing. And that was definitely something that made it hard to decide like to try something different knowing that it could be disruptive to what people are expecting and sort of expectations that I've helped set over the years. But it was really fun. And then something really cool started happening, which I'm very excited about, which is you start thinking, okay, what's next? What's the next video going to be? And I last week I talked about the whole thing Heather and I did where we came up with you know 50 ideas each, 100 ideas for each of our channels uh, for, for videos and stuff. But prior to that, the thing that I had been working on that has just been on the back burner for literally two years at this point is a video about the Canon XL1, this really cool old camcorder from 1998 that was my dream camcorder as a kid because it was like a three CCD, a three chip camera with interchangeable lenses in 1998. So in theory, for like $4,000, a person could buy a camera that was good enough to be on actual broadcast television. It's not HD. It's digital, it records to a tape. It's a cool camera. If you're at all interested in cameras from that era or remember anything, I'm sure that you've seen one. And I mean, I've talked about it. It's been in some of my videos too, but I've never done the video about it, which is what I bought it for (laughs) two years ago. Because what I've always thought is, here's the weekly schedule, do the weekly videos, which are always a little more relevant. This video about a 25-year-old camcorder, not exactly like timely, not something that needs to come out right away. And then I can just be working on this video in the background because I know that video is going to be a little bigger. It's going to take a little more, it's going to take more work and more time to piece it all together in the way that I want to put it together. And what has happened is nothing because I always thought that. I always thought I'll just do my regular videos and then in the background I can be working on something bigger. And I never did because everything kind of went into the weekly machine. And that was where it was, I was really starting to feel limited buy that. And then sometimes I would take ideas that I thought could be really cool, fun ideas, but they would get maybe even a little bit condensed and shortened and not be as good as they could possibly be because they were being made to fit this arbitrary deadline versus just be the best thing that it can be, take however long you want to take to make it. And I don't know. I mean, the Roadcaster Duo video, it, it doesn't surprise me that that's doing well 
in comparison to most of the videos I do on my channel because that's a re- it is a relevant thing. It's timely. It's interesting. It's very much on topic for my channel. It's something I know people had questions about. But what if, you know, in- instead of stressing myself out to feed this machine, to pump out videos that that don't get the attention they deserve, that that then don't even, I hate to say perform because I know that's not what it's about, but what if there are fewer videos but each one is like this thing that actually has a life and a personality and really does help sort of build the channel in a in a really cool way. And I don't know, I'm hoping that that's something that will happen. And so with the XL1 video, I have, I've spent the past week or so working on an outline that I finally finished the outline of yesterday because it's sort of, it's sort of a mix of my own thoughts and experiences, but also a lot of historical context and things so to like search up weird facts and price points on cameras from the 90s, which is sort of difficult sometimes. It's really fun. And it's been fun. I've outlined videos, I've written videos many times, but to sit here and go, I'm going to focus on the writing phase of this video and to really feel like I'm writing the video and it's going to take as long as it takes. And I still need to do like several different passes through this before I can then turn the outline into something that's a little more, not quite a storyboard, but almost something like a, I don't know if you call it a shooting script where I know what's going to be on camera, what's going to be off camera, what different, you know, I I don't want this potentially long video to just be one spot of me just sitting at a desk talking for, I don't know, an hour. I would like it to be a little more dynamic and a little more interesting. So when are we changing locations? When do I want to change music? That's fine. Like let's build all those things into it, which I've done a few times on videos in the past. Like the, uh, the one I can think of that pops to mind is my, why aren't camcorders more popular video is something that I did the same process with, but I was able to do that process because I outlined it when I was sick with COVID at the end of last year. So I couldn't do anything else, but just sit with the laptop. I couldn't do any actual production. And so I spent so much more time on the pre-production, which ended up making a way better video in the end. Um, and I did it last year too with the uh, Blue Yeti video. Why is the Blue Yeti, is the Blue Yeti really that bad? And that was, you know, is trying to really answer this question and be delicate about this thing that people have a lot of strong opinions on. And all of those things are videos that I remember having a ton of fun making, spending a lot more time on the pre-production phase and People really liked them. Like the videos did well, not just by YouTube standards, but by people still to this day, leave comments on those videos that are sharing their thoughts, just saying that they liked it, whatever it might be. Like it's really positive experiences. So why not take the time to do something like that instead of just, oh my God, I need to make something because a a deadline that I gave myself is approaching. And so the Canon XL1 video is that. I do still have the guilt though of, not making anything, potentially not having anything to make or to share for more than a week because I've never done that. I have never done that since starting my YouTube channel. And I think something that I've done, I've come up with sort of counteract that fear um, is to sort of share the process of making the video a little bit more. So a lot of people I support on Patreon kind of do this. Um, One of them is a Actually, a lot of people do this. <laughs> um, I'm thinking of people like Luke Towen, who's a scale model builder. He's amazing. I'm thinking of Cathode Ray Dude, who covers a lot of, not unlike the XL1, covers a lot of kind of old retro tech and gear and 
and obscure gear and stuff like that. And a few other channels that I support, they sort of share their whole process. Like they, and it's really cool because they don't just go like, oh, here's a new video, you should watch it. But they will make a post that says like, here's a video I'm working on, this is what's coming up next. And then depending on how long that video is and how long it takes to work on it, they might do updates along the way, especially Luke Towen, who does scale models. Like he'll share photos of, you know, you watch the video, the video is 30, 40 minutes long and he makes this whole beautiful photorealistic scene and it seems so quick and easy. And then you see the posts and you realize, oh, this was something that took, you know, eight weeks to build and put together and a ton of hours and a ton of time. It's cool to see how it progresses. It's cool to see them share like problems that they, they encounter and that they need to solve. And so I thought, what if, what if I tried to do that with this XL1 video? What if I, you know, shared a thing? Hey, this is what I'm going to be working on. This is where I'm at in the process. As I go through the process, share updates. It's a really fun, it's a fun thing. Like it's a fun camera. There's some fun ideas I have. There's super fun visuals. What if we just share that and I can take, you know, the people who want to go out of their way to support the channel, I can take them along the way on the ride to making the video. And then when the video is done, it's not even just this random thing. Like what the, why did this guy just make a video about a camera from 1998 to some people to maybe I guess the majority of people on YouTube, it might feel that way, but there will at least be a core group of people who are like, Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. I was totally, you know, following along the process of that. I think that might be really fun. And what I want to train my brain creatively to understand is that it's not about making something every week. Like that's not what the consistency is. It's about always working on something. And so, you know, I don't know how long this video will take based on my schedule, based on what I want the video to be, how long it'll take to do that. And my upcoming schedule, I'm guessing there's two to three weeks left before the video is finished, which is kind of a long time. And that means there could potentially be two to three weeks with nothing uploaded to my channel, which is terrifying. But if what that means is, you know, a great video comes out, because this video, the thing I didn't want for the XL1 video was for it to be like sort of a, I don't know, like a neutered version of itself. Like, here's the idea I had, but because I have to finish it by this time, I cut out all these parts, I did all this, and it sort of just got cut down to just something which could still be sort of interesting and fun, but definitely not to the level that I know it could have been. And so from a creative standpoint, I'm actually finding this to be like super interesting because even after making a lot of videos, I'm just making another video, but doing it in a slightly different way sort of changes the whole approach. And I think I don't know, that, maybe that's true for you too, right? Like if you've done anything a lot of times, even if you're trying to do that same thing, but you take a slightly different approach to it, the end result could end up being totally different or the whole process and experience could be totally different. So typically, and th this is not to say that I, I'm unhappy with any of my previous videos or anything. I just sort of feel like that process, I feel like I had sort of maxed out currently what I can do with that process and with that workflow. And it's hard to admit that. And the thing that I was so hesitant, because Heather's been telling me, been kindly suggesting that to me for a long time, but I have been so resistant to that idea because it's hard to, to think something like that without also feeling like you've been doing something wrong. Like, if, you know, if you change the way you do something, how is, how is that not 
telling yourself that, well, I'm changing this to do something to make it better doesn't mean that it's wrong. And it's almost like, okay, we rearranged our living room <laughs> a few weeks ago for the first time in, a, in like ever, really. And it's so much better now. And it just feels like, dang, I can't believe we didn't do this sooner. And it was hard not to feel like, well, was our room arranged wrong before? And now we did it right. But realistically, it's like, no, there's there's really an infinite number of ways you could approach this based on your needs and the furniture you have and the space and the different configurations and what the goal is and all that stuff and personal preferences and everything. There are many correct ways to do something. And so the way I'd been doing things before was great and there's nothing wrong with it. And trying something new is great too. And it's not an either or, it's just different. They're just totally different things. But what has been fun is traditionally the workflow that I've gotten into, especially just on a week to week basis, usually on a Friday, because it usually, okay, the video, a video would come out on Thursday, correct? <laughs> Why did I say correct? A video would come out on Thursday. On Friday is usually when I would start, I would typically already have an idea of what the next video I'd be working on would be. Friday would probably be where I would either start really mentally running through like the outline and the approach that I want to take to that, probably jotting down a few notes. Typically over the weekend is when I would start outlining stuff and and putting it into an outline. So that way I'd be ready to go on Monday. And then usually Monday and Tuesday were like production days. I had kind of gotten to a decent rhythm where Monday would be my like A-roll day. So talking head parts, if a video had that, which they pretty much all do, I'd film those on Monday, get all that done, put a rough cut together of that footage, usually on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I could go through and find the points of where I would want specific B-roll shots and then film all that B-roll on Tuesday. And that was that was really helpful, like just as a little tip, by the way, for a long time, and still sometimes what I've done is I film everything all at once. So I don't know if the video is about a microphone, I do the recording, the talking head part with the microphone. And then when I'm done with that, I, you know, move all the lighting around, move all the cameras around and do all the the product B-roll shots and all the insert shots and everything like that, which is usually fine. But sometimes there are really specific things you need to remember to, you know, if I say like, oh, this has a button on the back that does a thing, I need to make sure that I have a shot of that button to insert so people can see it. And sometimes I would miss it. And then it's always kind of frustrating. Like I film everything, I go in, I'm editing, and then I realize like, oh, I missed this one thing. Do I either be lazy and not include it? Or do I go back and set everything back up to get one five second shot? And I know that's the right thing to do, but wow, what a pain. And so it became a lot easier was to just put a rough cut of the talking head portion together, go through, just mark where I would want a specific B-roll clip to be inserted. And then I just have a whole list of shots that I need. I can even, I usually just take my laptop into my studio when I'm doing B-roll stuff and I just go chronologically to each mark, each point that I have marked, and then I can just hear what I'm saying. Like, these two microphones are the same size. Okay, cool. I need a shot of the microphone side by side. You know, and it just, I just know what I need at each point, and that kind of works. Or sometimes I'll go, I'll set that aside and just creatively do whatever I think looks neat or is really fun, and then go back and see if there's anything else that I need that isn't covered by what I just shot in that little session there, but it's all in one, it's all in one go of filming. And that has been really helpful. And then I'd usually spend the next day or two editing. So that way the next Thursday 
when a video was published, even though the video I was working on isn't the one that was going out on Thursday, before a video was published on Thursday, this current one would be uploaded to like take its spot in the queue. So there's still, you know, whatever it would be, there's still three videos scheduled and ready to go. And that's kind of been the workflow for a while, which has been like a very effective workflow. It's been great, but I really do sort of feel like it's almost like with my high school students, every once in a while I would have, you know, a student who would be just so incredibly skilled and talented, even at like the ninth grade level, they would be incredibly bright, super skilled, really talented, totally willing to put in time on their own to get better and better. And then I would see them grow and develop over the next four years into, you know, someone who could create work that a lot of experienced adults would have a hard time matching the quality of. But there was sort of this, this like, I don't know if it was a theoretical limit or a hard limit. There was kind of a point that by 18 years old, there's only, you can kind of only get here. Even the best of the best of the best can never really exceed this point here. And then I would have to wait and see once they graduated and they went to college or they started doing their own thing or whatever, then I would see them like, you know, blast past that point and get even better and better and better. And I almost feel something similar with the workflow I had developed it worked great. I could make things that I was really proud of and that I'm really happy with, but it could kind of only ever get to a certain point just because there's a there's a, fi- a finite amount of time to do all that stuff in, especially without driving myself crazy or like, you know, overworking myself with, you know, seven 15-hour days in a row or something like that. And it's sort of interesting to take this other approach where I have spent longer than I would normally spend on a whole video just outlining this next idea. I haven't even turned on a camera yet for it, you know? And then the next thing that I want to do is start collecting, like putting together a shooting script and then start collecting some of the music because I want to, instead of just going like, oh, at the end, what's the song I could just throw in here? I want to find stuff that fits sort of the idea that I have And then I want to have all of that stuff in place before I even turn on a camera and start filming everything. Like the video already is starting to have an identity. It's starting to come together, work on some graphics, work on on some title screens before there's even any footage for it. And then figure out like, I don't don't know if scenes are the right word, segments, which segments the video is going to have because it's broken down into four parts now what locations those need to be filmed in and then film those separately. Like don't try to bust all those out in one single day and create all these different setups and try to be decent and coherent on camera on top of doing all that. No, look at this one. Okay, today let's focus on, I don't know, if there's something I'm doing at my desk in here. Okay, let's do that part today. Got it. Next, what do we need? Okay, the next day, I don't know if there's something outdoors or whatever, go out, set that up, plan for that, do that take as much time as needed and then go back and add things in. I have been getting more comfortable lately adding stuff in during editing, especially just for voiceover. Sometimes if I realize I sort of left out some context or forgot to mention something or even just figured something out after I had filmed the video, just even if the audio doesn't match perfectly or it's not seamless or whatever, just adding in a voiceover, maybe adding in some B-roll clips or some footage to show what I'm talking about is has been a super helpful thing. Like not feeling that the video is finished just because I stopped pressing record or, you know, press the record stop button um, 
now I can't add anything else to it. Like the freedom to put something together and then keep working with it and adding to it until it becomes the thing that you want it to be and the thing that it needs to be. Because once you start putting something together and start building it, it it is, it is sounds sort of crazy, but it starts telling you what it needs to be. Like it starts revealing itself. And if you put yourself in the viewer's shoes or the viewer's seat, you start really thinking, okay, what I would want as the viewer is to see this and then think about this and to get more info about that. And it's like, you start to know, I already have these pieces. I don't have that piece. There's nothing wrong with just leaving a blank space in a video for a while. That's a holding point for like, oh, I need to make that. I need to record that, film that. And so I've done that before, but doing that with zero time crunch for this video, is it's going to be awesome when this video comes out. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm never even able to finish it or something. Um, I feel like I could make a pretty decent video though. And especially with the time that I'm spending on it. It's just a totally different approach. And so I'm really excited to see what that result is. And, and yeah, I just want, I wanted to share that mainly to, to share it because as always, I hope that's helpful, but to also address the idea that when you change something you've been doing for a long time, it doesn't mean what you've been doing is wrong. It just means maybe the best thing for you right now is something a little different. Or you just even want to try it. Because I could do all of this and it could all crash and burn and I could be unhappy and everything could just be failing. And then it's like, you know what? Going back to that weekly thing, there might have been a reason. Maybe I rediscover the reason for that. And that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with like, you know, renewing your vows with with a workflow or whatever it might be. So that's kind of where I've been in this past week. It's been very, very interesting to try something new and yeah, so we got one episode left this season. Next week, season 10 finale. Uh, I honestly not 100% sure what the topic is going to be because I want to let that reveal itself over the next week. But if you have any questions or comments or anything that you want included in that season finale before we take a break before season 11, be sure to send those sometime this week. I usually record if this is little in the weeds now. I usually record on Fridays or Saturdays. So if this episode comes out on Monday and you're listening to it when it was released, try to send something uh, probably before Thursday night. If you want to email me at tom and enthusiasmproject.com or just go to hi, my name is tom.com and uh, check out the speak pipe link if you just want to record a quick message. And then I'll be sure to include that in the season finale next week. And then I've got something really fun that I'll be doing in between seasons that I'm actually quite excited about. And I think that'll be a really good time. And also very curious to know what you think of the mic processing on the SM7B that I've been using today. If you liked it or you just want to kind of know what it is, there is a link to that video in the show notes if you want to check that out. So thanks so much for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy rest of your week. And I will see you next time. 